the Crude Audacity Podcast. And you are listening to the Crude Audacity Podcast, the podcast that talks shop shit and all things strategy with oil patch influencers. Today's happy hour is the business of cheap oil. And we will be stacking out the oil filled services and tech sector for impacts and pivots that we're seeing across the patch right now. I am joined by some oil-filled A-listers and one who is trying to find a better spot for internet because he is out in the field. But these people truly represent a new wave of energy from you know innovation to new frontiers. These guys are leaders, they are collaborators, and they are inventors. So I'm so thrilled to get everyone's perspective Let's see, Sam is still not on, so hopefully we'll get him. Um, But before we go ahead and kick it off, just a little bit of housekeeping. If everyone tuned in could go to Apple and leave me a five-star review, that would be awesome. If you are on YouTube, hit subscribe, and I will make sure that all of these influencers down in the show notes, you can find them on LinkedIn easily because they are the people to follow. Also, I am encouraging everyone to leave comments and start uh, pinging us with questions as we go through the panel, because this panel truly represents almost every single corner of oil-filled services and tech. And I actually had to write it down to cover everyone. But we have contract operator, oil field media, frac analytics, advanced reservoir characterization, SCADA, HSE and EHS, automation, uh, machine learning, AI, some big buzzwords in industry, land management, directional drilling, in-house asset management, compliance and regulatory, and of course, the Small Operators Society, where, I mean, this is truly oil field, just reach across the board. So, Panelists, I know it's kind of a full panel. I want everyone to get a chance to voice their opinion. As you know, I encourage jumping in, agreeing, disagreeing, challenging, elaborating. I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) This is definitely about the dialogue. So going ahead and kicking it off and jumping straight into it, Miss Heidi Gill, will you please tell us exactly who you are, who's your company, and what you are providing to oil and energy these days. Yes, that's a big, big question. Um, (laughs) So I'm Heidi Gill. I'm the founder of Urban Solution Group, and we are a uh, oil field service company that provides mitigation plans for primarily drilling and completions, um, plans and products. So we have a flagship product, which is a patent pending the, the sound walls that go around drilling hydraulic fracturing locations. Um, And we really focus on technical innovation paired with social awareness and acumen and social compatibility. Um, So that is kind of in a nutshell what Urban does. Um, And we really will help with planning everywhere from siting through reclamation and then offer products for drilling and completions primarily. 
Um, and then noise engineering, modeling. Um, we do a ton of consulting with social compatibility planning, um, helping operators learn and understand the different areas in which you're operating is really critical, especially when you look at procurement and supply chain of how you'll have socially compatible operations fit for specific uh, areas and MOUs and regulatory environments. Um, so that's urban. And then just briefly um, started my career at, uh, in the oil and gas space, working for Anadarko Petroleum. Um, and with Anadarko, I um, was hired originally to help with external interfacing stakeholder relations, um, that interface between the community and operations, then um, really fell in love with proactive mitigation and everything that was entangled in that. Pretty much all the shit actually no one really wants to deal with is what we Excellent. deal with. So like people that are angry, technologies that can help, um, regulations that are difficult to meet and also uh, sometimes don't make the most sense. Um, so we try to help operators navigate some of that space. Um, but Anadarko really focused on mitigation. So everything for noise, light, dust, odor, aesthetics for drilling, completions, production, and midstream. Then went on to HSE there and then eventually moved to asset planning um, where I was there before leaving and starting Urban about three years ago. That's, that's awesome. the elevator pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Mr. Josh Churlick, you are up and I intend to put you on the spot. So tell us all about what you do. Um, so I'm the CEO co-founder of Well Data Labs. Um, we founded the company in 2014. Our focus originally was unsucking uh, well uh, frack data. And uh, that was our mission was to get this data collected and grown so that it can move into a predictive analytics world. Uh, we've expanded that mission to focus more on unsucking technical well data as we've moved into other verticals like drilling. And um, really we take the data, we make it easy to use and then we wrap it uh, with machine learning tools so that we can start uh, moving faster in our, in our analytics rather than having to click through every single chart to label and characterize data. So it's hopefully, awesome. hopefully that's helpful. Um, on the in the frac market, we're on um, more than fifty percent of the active fracs in North America, and have so far saved many man hours in terms of collecting and labeling data. That's amazing. And a huge shout out to Josh. Actually, I know many of our listeners right now follow Hacker Village. Josh is one of the reasons we were able to make Hacker Village happen. He was the first phone call I made, and that is why Matt Bauer and I actually get on every month and teach a free class on Python. So Josh is definitely a force to be reckoned with in the oil and energy space. Uh, B, do you want to tell us all about who you are and why you left off your last name? Why I left off what? Your last name. <laughs> Um, yeah, I do think that was important. <laughs> I did it too. <laughs> yeah, uh, my name is Ulubi Yolawi. I currently work for Premier Oilfield Group. And um, I guess some of you must have seen the group. Um, uh, LinkedIn is pretty active. I work with the Reservoir Solutions Group. And um, I have a team that does everything from, I'd say, seismic to tank. Um, previously, I worked at, uh, I started my career in Algeria, North Africa, and uh, moved to Europe, Canada, and now the US. Uh, I can say I've fracked on four continents. 
Uh, <laughs> rock is the same everywhere. We can break it. And um, yeah, what I do now is more um, very tailored to unconventional assets. And it's all about getting the most out of the ground, considering the environment right now. Um, it was already getting tough even before the before the pandemic. So, you know, this only makes it tougher and makes everything everyone here does uh, um, very important to giving the best to the clients. So full disclosure, B was actually my boss when I was at Premiere, and he is the reason I can actually put advanced reservoir characterization on my resume. Uh, and the poor man has had to deal with me almost on a daily basis since I left Premiere. So <laughs> he is one of my uh, greater mentors, and I'm so thrilled to get him on. So secretly, just so everyone knows, the reason you're on this panel is because I need y'all to form a new like super major for me and uh, handle the new wave. But with that, Mike Mills, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and all about Blue Tick? All right, hi, I'm Mike Mills. I'm the president of Blue Tick, and we provide SCADA solutions uh, for the upstream and midstream oil and gas market, primarily for small and, and medium-sized independents. Um, I just uh, work with a great team, and we can provide a huge variety of applications for any type of monitoring solution that our customer needs. And that's kind of us in a nutshell. Um, uh, we've, we've had a good run here. I've been involved. Uh, Blue Tech's been running about 12 years. And um, so I've been directly involved in oil and gas for that long, but indirectly involved probably about 30 years through, through some family members. But, uh -huh, uh, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, except you're not a, that old yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty old. Um <laughs> So yes, so Mike, actually, if anyone looks at my LinkedIn, I am now a media strategist because of the podcast for Blue Tick. So be sure to keep your eye out on them. They are they're making waves and uh, better data. So it's pretty exciting. That's right. One of our panelists, I'm just going to give it a uh, shout out because the poor guy is stuck in his car and can't find a bandwidth. Um, so before we get to our last one. Sam Bradley, who is co-founder of the Small Operator Society. Y'all, this has almost 60 small operators throughout the Rockies and in Colorado uh, in their society. They are disrupting the chain. They are regulatory compliance. He also does uh, contract operating and in-house asset management, just a full spectrum company all from small operators uh, perspective and he's really unseating some of the bigger guys out there that do, do that so if we can't get him back on we i will do a separate uh interview with him because what he's bringing to industry is just super unique and it's totally disruptive but speaking of disruptive <laughs> mr david gibson you are changing the oil field game across the board so tell us all that you do from gibson reports to vidor locksmith and everything that you touch uh i really don't do anything i just kind of hang out at my office and waste <laughs> time before uh, i have to go home in the evenings no uh i i am the co-founder uh president, CEO, whatever, you can give me the job title that uh, best suits whatever um, LinkedIn algorithm that's going to chase me down and send me nonsense. Uh, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> I started a company called Gibson Reports. We do a directional drilling uh, and MWD market share reporting. Um, 
we're able to tell people which which service companies are working for which operators, how much work they've done, and where they're doing their work. So that's uh, the little sales pitch for that. Uh, I also have a show called uh, The Vidor Locksmith, uh, where we broadcast live on LinkedIn and YouTube and potentially here in the near future, other channels as well. Uh, where we uh, I'll go live and we'll interview and present educational material to the oil and gas industry, everything from uh, drilling to, like we said earlier, buzzwords, artificial intelligence and machine learning. We just had IBM on this past week. Um, so that's a little bit of what we do uh, with those things. And then I stay pretty active on LinkedIn, also do marketing consulting, business consulting, podcasts <laughs> and and uh consult people on how to do live streams so he consulted me i called him out of the blue and said hey you don't know me what is live stream <laughs> and now he can't get rid of me much like the rest of you um so uh, i'm always happy to help and and i have to say something real quick so uh to josh thank you very very much you don't know this but uh, last year at the SP Energy Dot, I was doing a couple of live streams for my show, and um, I left early, early that morning to be able to make it out to Houston, and I forgot my wallet at the house. We finished up the day, and then I was realized I had parked inside of a parking garage that didn't take cash, didn't like had to have like a debit card, and I had no way to be able to get out. And I met Tim Butrell, y'all's VP of Sales, and I. I met him and we were talking and stuff and he's like, oh yeah, I got to go to this thing. I got to catch an Uber. And I was like, look, I'll give you a ride if you'll just pay for me to get out of the parking garage. And he was like, yeah, sure. I was like, oh my God, thank you. I was like, I didn't know how I was going to get out of here. So, so huge thank you to Josh and Well Data Labs for picking up the tab on my uh, parking garage ticket there. That's that's awesome. That's a great story. Tim, Tim actually told me that story this afternoon. <laughs> Oh, he beat me to it by like four hours. Yeah, that's amazing. It's maybe less than an hour, but it was pretty. It's a pretty. That's a pretty funny story. Glad we could help. I, well, that just goes yeah. to show that the the people over at Well Data Labs they'll help you out, especially when you're in a pinch. You're in a parking garage without your wallet, and you need to get out. Give them a call. They're your people. <laughs> Parking tabs and beer. We're good for those, at least. They're actually good for quite a few things. Josh is actually one of the founders of what's what's the exact phrasing, Josh? The uh, data, the data week. Oh, uh, Denver, Denver startup. startup. Yes, yeah. yes, huge deal. And you host the um, the monthly or quarterly uh, advanced machine learning um, trainings. Oh, we do uh, uh, well. Power up. One That's our, what it was. Power yeah, up. We it's kind of a unconference, if you would, where we try to take um, machine learning and, uh, projects that are occurring in in the oil and gas industry and um, get people to share those without um, having to kind of write a paper and have it accepted to a major conference. So that way, some of the kind of ugly, dirty projects that may or may not work, all of that learning gets shared. Um, because there's so much info in those stories, but yeah, that's a fun, we've done that now four times, uh, twice a year. It's really awesome. So to David's point, if you need to get out of a parking garage or learn about machine learning and data analytics, stalk Josh Turlick. <laughs> Let's talk my team. They're, they're so much smarter than I am. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, guys, again, one of the reasons I have you all together is because I really do want you to start our next super major. But on that note, there is a new frontier coming out of oil and energy right now, specifically in the oil and gas service sector. We're seeing the rise of tech. Not all new tech is good tech. Not all data is good data. So in the downturn that has been the 2020 black swans, and I know everyone's sick of this question, but the reason you're here is to give us some unfiltered insights. As we are watching oil prices crash, as we're watching them come back up, what are the conversations you are having with your team, with your investors, with your management, your board, all of it? What sort of were y'all thinking uh, for these last six months that have been the whirlwind of 2020? B, let us know. Oh, I mean, Tristan, you said to stop at me. Um, I'd say uh, one of the biggest things that we do, whether it's a downturn or it's on the downturn is to, um, before you provide any solution, you need to really ask yourself, does it move the needle, right? Just like you said, there's a lot of tech out there. There's a lot of data out there. Um, the average frack today gives you 50 data, 50 to 100 data points every second. And you do that for three hours. And of all that 500, 400,000 rows, what, at what, what second moves the needle? Is it the breakdown? Is it the ISIP? Is it the trend? Is it the average? Like what, what matters? And when we can answer that question, I guess, um, I, I don't, we wouldn't be as surprised by these events as we are right now. Because I'd say during the boom, when things were really good, we probably didn't pay as much attention to the data. And that's why it's good to have companies like Well Data Labs that boom or bust, they'll collect the data. And then we could always go back and analyze and figure out, okay, what did we do wrong? What can we do better? And that's basically what we've done. And that's what we're focusing on right now is what do we need to do to make sure that every dollar that's invested brings back the most return? And because, yeah, uh, there's the saying that shale is king. I think COVID is king right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, I'd say free cash flow is the real king. And But you wouldn't see investment if you can't turn cash around, right? So what we ask ourselves is, like I said, what moves the needle? And if I go to specifics of what we do, you know, but Premier Oilfield Group has, uh, there's a huge lab, there's a huge data collection of cuttings and what we're doing is building a model that identifies the rock properties across multiple basins. And um, every pound of propent is equal, but every pound of propent in a different rock does not give you the same result. So should you do 2,000 pounds per foot in the north versus 1,000 pounds per foot in the south? Can you get the same result from that? I don't think we answered those questions well enough when things were good. I think that's where we are right now is go designing. Back to data, go back to science. There you go. Go back to data, go back to the science and ask yourself, what should I have done? 
And if that works, what should I do going forward? Well, David, you're in media, oil field media, and you're in directional drilling. So with this downturn, I mean, rigs are falling left and right. What is your perspective and how are you guys managing or what were you doing to manage? So one of the things I like to be able to keep in consideration as so far as what's taking place is, you know, this is being considered another downturn for the oil and gas business, right? And I've had this conversation with many people, um, not only now, but also in the previous, you know, uh, 2015, 2016, where it was like, oh, I've been through three or four downturns, or I've been through this downturn. And to me, um, if you're having, if, if this is affecting you to the point to where you're going to go bankrupt, um, then you didn't learn your lessons going through the previous downturns. Um, so when we got this company started, you know, we, I, you know, I told my cousin, the co-founder, I said, look, uh, you know, at any moment things could change, um, whether it's up or down. And, and so we've always kind of kept our, our, our balance books and our financials in, in, in a shape to where like, no matter what takes place, like we can still survive for 18 months, 24 months, whatever the case may be. So in all honesty, we haven't really changed anything. Um, and outside of that, when big change takes place, that means that there's opportunity. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's a time where you can either create opportunity for yourself, or you can find opportunity within the industry to be able to, to, to help companies. Um, and it's, it's a, what we've seen with our company is that, uh, it, not only on, or especially with, I should say, with the, the data side of it, is that we've had clients come to us and say, hey, look, we can't afford to just go out there on a sales effort and just do whatever. We need to be more laser-like focused and be going after the opportunities that are going to potentially lead to success at a higher percentage. And, and so that's what's helped us, you know, in, in being able to actually, you know, maintain a, a certain level of, uh, of workload during this time. We have lost clients, but we've lost clients for the exact same reason that we're gaining clients. Some are saying, you know, we just have to tighten our budgets and we have to cut back on things. And the others are saying we have to tighten our budgets and cut backs on things. So we need to have data that, that supports the decisions we're making. So on that side of it, we like, I've, I don't want to say that I've been excited about this, you know, not the disease and stuff like that, but opportunities and the chance to be creative and find new solutions. That's been great. The media side of it and the show side of it, the show's absolutely exploded. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a craving from the industry to be able to stay in touch with one another, to be able to um, not so much, I would say like attend events, but to be able to continue to consume information and, and stay relevant in what's going on. And um, obviously, I think probably a lot of people saw this at the very beginning of the, uh, you know, the, the whole stay at home portion of this, you know, back in uh, mid to early March, when when companies were just starting to say, uh, it's not good for everybody to come to work. What I was able to see was is the social media traffic, not just on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram is everywhere across the board. Social media traffic was way, way, way up. And so then I was at that point in time, we said, okay, let's, let's change up the format of the Vidor locksmith show. Let's see what we can do to be able to, you know, get that audience of people that are just sitting at home with nothing to do. I shouldn't say nothing to do, but they wanted something else to do other than work. 
And that's what, <laughs> that's where kind of the, the, the show took off. And, um, and to what B was talking about just a minute ago, where he said, you know, during this downturn, you know, companies are looking closer at their data. The same thing happened in 2015, 2016. If you look at how long it took us to drill horizontals uh, in West Texas in late 2014, uh, by 2017, it was like half the amount of time. We went from, you know, 21 day or 28 day wells down to like 14 day wells. And now we're still seeing that. And we're going to continue to see these wells be drilled faster and faster and faster because more people have more time to be able to look at what's actually taking place. And the operators have to be able to cut costs. And one of the best ways to be able to cut costs is to cut the number of days uh, on operations, whether that's on the frack side or on the drilling side. Very true. And this new introduction of oil field media, I know all of y'all are slowly experiencing it as well, but it's something where it's kind of bridging the gap between society and or those who are not in industry and those in industry. It's making data, honestly, more transparent, which is something that, Heidi, you have firsthand experience bridging the gap between non-industry and industry. So and yeah. solving from that. But what were you seeing over on your side at Urban? Yeah, so initially, um, so our primary product, similar to David's, would have been to follow, you know, we follow the rig. So we went from, you know, building our fleet. So we build, we own our sound walls and we rent them to operators. And we had built, you know, over six miles of wall, um, which is pretty incredible. In when you think about an average location is about, you know, anywhere from like a thousand to say 1800 feet. And we have, you know, over 32,000 linear feet of this product. And we're still a newer company. Um, and we were completely committed for all of 2020, like not, not a foot of linear footage, not to, to spare. And so we went from, um, you know, having conversations with operators about prepayment for manufacturing and growing the fleet to then now we're like, wait, we need to get a yard and, and all the, we need multiple yards because you can't have it all at the same yard. Um, and so first, very first and foremost, it was, um, you know, we obviously had a massive hit right away to our primary product and kind of like the lifeline of the business. Um, you know, urban, urban is backed by, you know, we we're well funded, had, um, I would say the proper financial practices in order to ride this out. Uh, it really does take, you know, you can have the best idea in the world and everybody has a great idea, but if you don't have a good business acumen, you're not surviving. So that would be something that I said that I think that um, Urban had really well is, um, you know, I had great advisors, a great board. Um, the one thing that was interesting is I did go to my investors when everything, you know, tanked and I was like, okay, like shit's literally bad. So here's where we're at. Like who, who handled this last time? And it was like radio silence and uh, which is rare from our investor group. And, you know, the most experienced one of all of them came to me and they're like, Heidi, it's actually never been this bad. I was like, oh, that's your advice. Okay. Well, I'm gonna go figure this out. Um, so, so yeah, we took a, a big hit immediate and fortunately, you know, urban was built for the type of future that I think that oil and gas is going towards. It was built, um, on the, the foundations of like what I think that sustainable energy development is going to be inside or be for the United States. Um, so we had actually been working on a pretty large pivot that we're still working on now. Um, we're still in final negotiations on our commercial terms with our pilot customers. So we're not telling it yet, but I did tell Catherine when we are launching it, um, she'll be the first 
first interview that we do. Um, but we had, yeah, so we had already started looking at, um, you know, we deal with a lot to do with humans and really like quantifying humans and human emotion and turning it into data is one of the most challenging things. But like when you're able to do that, it's extremely valuable. And so that is um, a portion of kind of what we're looking to, to bring to the space. And that's all I'm going to say on that for right now. Um, but so really. Come on, uh, tell us everything you're not supposed on, to what else, right? <laughs> just, just enough. I know. I was like, how do I get on this thing, drink wine and not say anything? Uh, but I'm going to get there. Um, depending right, on how we're long coming we're back to you at the end of the show after we've yeah, seen yeah. you uh, put a couple of those away. <laughs> exactly. Once the bottle's empty, then then ask me again. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think that we had fortunately already been looking at something. And so this time right now, while our operations in the field have like drastically slowed down, we are we are not at home like licking our wounds. I mean, we are working harder than ever and we're doubling down on investment PropX investment for this industry. And, um, you know, I think that there, what's the quote? Like you can either be um, the pessimist. Or not. That is true. <laughs> I prefer the former. Um, but yeah, so, so we basically just said, okay, like everything really sucks right now, but I really do believe in the sustainability of our industry. I believe that it's going to be around. So we're doubling down. So right now we're busier than ever, um, working to continue to stay relevant with our customers, add value. And then we're planning on just coming out swinging is the market rebounds. And, um, you know, so I think that not letting, largest lessons is don't let how bad the situation is paralyze you, you know, being not making decision, you know, we're not being, we're, we're being responsible with our money. Don't be penny wise, pound foolish. If you see an opportunity, you have to have the guts to step up and take it. Otherwise you're never going to be the one that's moving and shaking and making things happen. And so, um, you know, that's really what we've tried to do is not let fear be an Achilles, but instead turn it into a fuel for innovation based on the same fundamentals and foundation our company was built on. I think that's awesome. I'm actually going through y'all for a specific reason here. So building on to Josh here, you know, the scary word in industry or outside of industry used to be drilling and now it's frack and it does sound like a different word, but um, it's something that we need to B's point, to David's point, not necessarily more data, but better data in the downturns and in the upswings. And we saw frat crews just falling off the map. I think uh, last I checked, there were like, what, 30 active right now, um, maybe 15 at this point. So how was Well Data Labs? I mean, y'all are bridging the gap for providing that data that making it more digestible in terms of, you know, bringing things online. So what were you guys thinking? What was your, what was your senior team saying at negative $40? Where's the, where's the I was thinking a negative uh, 37. Yeah. <laughs> in negative 37, I was taking pictures of CNBC. So I would remember this one day. Uh, oh. And uh, because I'm like, this is ridiculous. I think this somewhere. Um, you know, I think the frat crews right now, depends on what numbers you reference, you know, somewhere around 75 or 80, they, mm. they were pretty low. Um, that's still very low. Um, you know, I don't, we, you know, speaking to some of that, um, we had a, um, a recession and an 
uh, oil market trouble thesis coming into the year. So in December, we had had a, a management leadership team where we said, we think there's a, 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 a recession potentially, and we definitely know oil companies are going to have a problem because they were having problems as late as last a year ago with cash flow and having to meet uh, operating requirements. Mm -hmm. So we, uh, we just had this thesis for it being a very rough year. And we had started making shifts in January, February to products and services mix that would that would um, uh, get traction in a bad year and add value and help our customers. Um, so when when the when uh, the the oil uh, like Russia started warring on the U.S., Saudi started warring on Russia and the U.S. with prices, uh, we walked in that Monday morning and um, paused all hiring. Uh, uh, had an all hands had a leadership team meeting had an all hands meeting explaining uh, hey we're gonna prepare to see ten dollar oil and then it'll go down dramatically it's gonna feel like we're falling into an abyss and then it'll come back a little bit so we prepped our entire team that Monday and then um, put that case into action and then COVID hit everybody went to work from home and uh, we get this scenario back here now for several months. <laughs> With, uh, you know, my, my daughter joins a lot of meetings, and um, and but we we were prepared and oriented, and we're not afraid. And then you start figuring out how do I help my customers through this because you know there you know you had customers in February that had growth aspirations this year, right? They were upticking, uh, making larger commitments ready to go. And then 30 days later, they're like, oh, we're zero. We're doing nothing. <laughs> and, and that's a 30 day swing. That's such a shock to the, 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 the industry. And so at that point, we're like, okay, how can we help our customers? Many of them are afraid of losing their jobs. Many will lose their jobs. How do we help them navigate this process too? And that was really what a lot of April and May was about. Um, so I don't know if I'm answering your question is, but really what it came down to is we had a little bit of enough foresight to be prepared. And then, um, you know, but just because you know, you're going to get punched in the face doesn't mean you want to get punched in the face. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's, a, that's a very true statement. <laughs> and and uh, we were able to navigate through it. And then now we've got a, a, a whole suite of uh, services and diagnostics for running kind of, helping you understand more intimately what's happening during your frack in real time, kind of combining work that we licensed from Devon with some machine learning and combine that with some real time. And now we can help you understand the wells you are doing. We can help, help you understand them better. And we're finding that's resonating really well. Yeah. Right now. Um, and then the, in terms of improving your data, the industry does a lot less look backs than it thinks it does. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's just nodding. So he's true. Like, oh, he's absolutely right. <laughs> Not a more true statement. Disgusting lookbacks, man. And I see a lot less than I hear people talk about. But there are quite a few companies who do it really well, to David's point. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it comes down to um, kind of what Heidi talked about here. We have an onboarding slide. So part of onboarding people into Well Data Labs, I have an oil price slide that goes back, um, I forget how many years now, but many years. It's got a price collapse into 14, 15 on it. And I have innovate here written across it, right? And so we onboard people into our culture with the understanding that there will be oil cycles, there will be price drops, and that we will innovate there. 
um, and we'll lean into that uh, to that mode. And that's just culturally built into us, and it, it's paying off this year. Several, you know, years and years of building that in our culture is paying off. Well, I, I'm noticing a theme across you four. I'm excited to get to Mike. I will say that I made this leap in 2014. I fought it for as long as I could, having grown up in industry. And um, I've been in a perpetual downturn. So <laughs> I am loving what you guys are saying because there is there's nothing but opportunity. However, people outside of industry are still demanding better data. We need to B's point, we need to go back and actually learn from the look back. So I think Josh and David have hit on this as well. And now we have to make that data digestible. So Mike, you are SCADA. You look at development projects. You send active data, more accurate data. You're actually unseating a lot of the big players. So what were you seeing? Was there an increased demand for SCADA during this downturn so that people could work smarter and more efficiently? Or did you have to have some tough conversations? Well, I think a little bit of both. And, and you touch upon what everybody else is saying. And that's when, you know, everybody's running leaner. So business expects technology to fill the gap of personnel that they're laying off. And while that can be done to a certain extent, you know, you, you still need to keep the personnel. I know that's a message people hate to hear. Um, and you would think it'd be great for the technology companies. Um, but, you know, we, we run through this. We, we end up listening to what our customers are telling us. And we're that's where we're making our shifts and our pivots. And so we're kind of listening uh, currently right now at the worst time ever, you know, we have the worst losses in 30 years. Um, now they're putting all the, in, imposing all these new regulations on the oil and gas industry. And, and it's funny because at the federal level, they're talking about deregulating. And at the state level, they're adding regulations. So as our customers are calling us and talking to us about that, we're, we're kind of, um, we're, we're, you know, we're still working within the oil and gas industry, but we're supporting a lot of more service companies and, and the other side of it is, of course, we do get calls from customers or new customers and existing customers. And it's something you're going to probably touch on later, but it's about how to get more for less. So yes. you know, we're dealing with that as well. But, you know, inter something interesting that I think everybody's touched on this as well is about the digital transformation. We know about the digital transformation of better data analytics and everything moving forward in oil and gas from the operator side. But as everybody was talking, I was thinking about the digital transformation that's occurring with us. You know, me especially, I realized to be, uh, you know, we're always been small, flexible, lean company, but I realized that, um, you know, we have to do a better job at our digital transformation and, and thus we're on the show right now, at least, you know, I'm on the show right now. And, you know, and it's just kind of interesting that, you know, the, the data transformation is much bigger than just data analytics, you know, and, and things like that, though that's what we focus in for business. But um, I've lost track, Catherine, of what uh, the, the whole question was. <laughs> I went up to so many tangents because everybody was talking about so many good points. I was thinking, oh, yeah, I want to hit on this, hit on that. No, no, you I feel like you crushed it. it. Yeah, you, yeah, you it. actually did. You nailed it on the head. But what I'm hearing from all five of you is that no one should have been surprised, even with the COVID and the black swans, like, yeah, was it ideal? No, but every one of you seems to have prepared for it in one way or another. I mean, B, you are in consulting, you're sitting there doing advanced characterization, you're building frack models for full basins, and your clients are still coming to you for advice and, you know, feedback. But to Mike's point, 
We're also seeing a lot of push for the leaner, leaner, leaner. It can't always be leaner. At some point, there's just not enough people to get the job done. So how is everyone balancing that? How are you handling <laughs> that conversation? Jump in all at once. <laughs> okay. So, so let, me, uh, let, let me start with, so when it comes to uh, what you touched on as to build in, say, a model for an entire basin, um, I think one of the things that differentiates North America from the rest of the world is that we've got so many operators and very few operators have contiguous land. Mm -hmm. So um, if I were to compare with, say, national oil company, all the logs in your country belong to you. So you own the trend. You know what's going on from 1,000 miles away from where you are right now. With the way things work in the United States and with small operators and big operators all having assets right next to each other, um, the best way to build a model that works is to work together. And that's what we're beginning to see. We're seeing collaboration for the first time because of this downturn. Exactly. We, well, it started before the downturn, but the downturn even makes it more necessary in the sense that um, we can't. There's so much volume and so much work that needs to happen to keep the production pace growing that we don't have so much time for engineering. So if you just look over the fence, you might get it wrong. <laughs> but if you integrate and look at, collaborate, put all the data together, then you know, oh, I understand now why this recipe works two miles north, but it doesn't work two miles south. And that's one of the things we're trying to build with a lot of our clients. We have a collaboration space, two collaboration spaces actually, and that's still building in. You know, everyone that comes in, you bring in your data, it gets integrated. You've got access to the model, but you don't have access to each other's data. So the, we keep the collaboration with the competition. And I think that's the point we need to get to. Are you guys across the board seeing more collaboration in y'all's sectors of the field? I'm seeing some. I, yeah, I'd say for um, our stuff, I mean, we end up collaborating a lot internally with our with the customer cross teams, right? Because if you're looking at how you execute an operation, if you're near people, you could crush it in drilling, but if you completely screw it up in completions, it doesn't matter. The operator's brand is still damaged. So we, you know, we help kind of start to finish there. I would say that from like a tangible service of like, you know, our patent pending walls, we're not like working with our competitors in that capacity. Sometimes we work on the same pads together. So it's a little bit different. Um, but I, I do agree with B, your point for that type of data and the way that development needs to be hidden here in the United States. Operators have to learn like, yes, there's the secret sauce and all that makes sense. But at some point you have to look at like the larger picture and the strategy of how do you get this acreage cored up to be able to develop, learn from the next because we're running out of mulligans as an industry. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's, that's a real thing, right? And we What's have very, very, really? No. It's like, a, okay, so if I guess a, if you mess up, it's it's a golf term. Oh. Somebody could probably, if you like, if you swing and it's not good, you could get a mulligan. 
you buy them at charities, but I'm sure it founded on something different than other than taking people's money, but it's a do-over basically. And we're running out of the opportunity to go back and continue to do over. So I think there's some elements of our industry that just have to get better at collaborating because we're not going to be able to be a sustainable industry here if we don't get good at some stuff and we don't get good at it quick. Um, Josh, I, I don't know. Some of it also depends on when, what you're thinking of when you say collaboration, because data trades, data consortiums, informal data trades have gone on for a very long time. Um, and it's when they start to get very formal that the, the, the organizational antibodies like gridlock it. <laughs> and it's like and, and organizational antibodies, a, a.k.a. the legal team. <laughs> right. That, that word, many of those folks are my friends. Uh, Coming from operations and reservoir, when in doubt, blame uh, the driller. There, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's, many, there's many ways that this happens, but even inside of operators, you see a hesitancy to collaborate across basins or across teams. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a new completions engineer come into a, a team and immediately discount all the work that the previous individual did as if it yeah. was irrelevant and they knew nothing and yeah. all the time. Well, that's, and that's a form of like not willing to, to use the work that was done before me. Right. And so I, I think there's a lot of like, what is collaboration and how should we use the data that's around us and better partner um, as a service software service company, we partner with anybody that we can, even if it's a competitor, if it adds value to our customer. We have zero fear of that. And it, because I look at it and say, if I'm worried about them copying a graph and that graph costs me my business, why well, a shitty business? Yeah. <laughs> because it's not the graph that is the model. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So yeah, Mike. No, I was just thinking it was interesting how, have you ever found yourself being the communication bridge between different groups in the same company? And you're wondering, why am I that person? Why, oh, why am every I communicating day. Every day. It's, it's frustrating. Yeah. Well, then you want to be like, hey, you're also on a call. My, I tend, to, I tend to be that person. Where it's like, from upstream, midstream, and downstream. Are you seeing those spaces start, start to collaborate more for better solutions for the actual life cycle of oil and gas? Was that to me? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I see the collaboration more in what we're doing with like other service companies that aren't doing exactly what we do, but they find that, you know, working with us, they provide a better solution, uh, as Josh was saying, to their customer. And so we're, we're starting to do a lot more partnering like that and collaboration and, you know, for like gas detection companies or compressor monitoring services or, you know, a whole variety of, you know, ancillary services that are needed in the oil and gas arena. And, um, and so I, I've been seeing a lot more of that. That's been picking up pretty well. So uh, I like to say that if there's not a little bit of overlap, there's probably not a real clear reason to collaborate, right? True. Exactly. And that's really I, I find that to be pretty true. So and uh, we do that across the board with um, just urban. You know, we have some stuff where we offer products, but we still do an analysis for the full thing, or you know, for the for the whole kit and caboodle. And so that is, I agree that that is the area where especially having been an operator, my vendors that were willing to work together to provide solutions are the vendors that I keep on during a downturn, right? Yep. So I think that that's what's so critical is that, um, you know, sometimes we'll even run a model for something and we don't have that particular technology and we say, these people do. 
Um, and that I think is really important because at the end of the day, who wants to hire someone who's not like looking out for the true best value of the business? And I think that that sometimes gets lost a lot of time in the service sector. Right. No, I completely understand. So this is for B and David. And these might be some fighting words, but I'm just saying from our comments here, drilling is the only place that has gotten efficient over the years and completions can't seem to get it together or even get their costs down. So can I go first? Yeah, go for it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll go first just to so I, uh, I get on David's good side. I I totally I totally agree. And that, and that's and that's linked to something Josh brought up, right? He said you walk in an organization and you get a new completions engineer and it does away completely with what the previous completion engineer did. And that's because in the in completions engineering, we've done a poor job of understanding hydraulic fracturing. And it is it is still a science. It might it might look a lot like you could just copy paste and do what you did in your previous company, although you worked in the Eagleford and then you slapped the same design over in the Delaware. There is a science to this and it all comes from understanding the rock. And that comes from data. So David, the 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 drillers have a good understanding that of mud weights or where they have breakouts. You wouldn't use the same mud weight north in Eddy County that you'll use down in Lee County or that down in Pecos County, for example. But if you come to the completion side, you know, yeah, I used to do 2,000 pounds per foot. I used to have five clusters, 20 foot spacing, and it worked. I'll do exactly the same thing. So yeah, I totally agree with, I saw that uh, question, I wasn't gonna answer it, so I don't throw my completions brothers under the bus, but <laughs> it's what it is. I, I guess I can't really argue with that. I think the only way that we could really cut completions cost is just to start drilling conventional wells again. We might. I mean, yeah, just go back to conventional reservoirs. I mean, Surtech yeah. would love you right now. That's all we do. <laughs> so, I, I mean, you've got companies like uh, D3 um, and, and uh, they're an operator that, you know, they will put out there and they'll say that that's all they do uh, is they stay in uh, conventional reservoir space and they are still going. They still have rigs out there that are running uh, and the amount of work that they're supplying to their service companies are doing fairly well. Um, so not to say that, you, you know, like completions is out of the I, I can't talk about anything. I You know, once they're like once they've hit TD and uh, on the drilling side, like. I don't know what takes place out there. And honestly, I don't care if the well cat caught on fire. I, I, I have nothing to do with it. I've, I've always been just an MWD guy. So we get done and they're like, get out of here. And I'm like, all right, I'll have fun. Whatever happens, casing gets to bottom, whatever. Like, there's so there's like so much I have to just admit, like there's, there's so much that happens after that, that I just don't know about. And I know that the pressure has been on the drilling side to be able to cut costs, drill these well faster, um, and then that gets into like the whole business model, the directional drilling and the drilling side of the business where it's, you know, a lot of people charge per day. But if you continually keep drilling faster and faster and faster, you're not so much drilling yourself out of work, um, but you're drilling yourself out of margins. Um, if, if your business model was dollars per foot, uh, then the, the more you the faster you drill, the higher your margins are going to be. Um, so 
there are some changes that need to take place in the industry. And since some of it is just looking at, okay, do you want to know a hundred percent of what your revenue is going to be? Or do you want to know what your cost is going to be uh, to, to a factor of how many days you're out there? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's just stuff like that to where if we take a step back and start looking at just how do we structure the contracts? How do we um, uh, structure the relationship with the clients? Um, and then to kind of get back to what y'all were talking about just a minute ago, as far as, uh, you know, data, com- you know, compatible or, or data sharing and stuff, you know, yes, some service companies might work with another service company, like a bit guy with the directional drilling company or, or something like that. But what would really be helpful is the operators, not just working with other operators, but an operator putting their data out there for service companies to be able to use in a way to be able to bid for their work. So if a service or an operator was to come out and say, hey, look, this is how much we're paying. This is what our AFE is. This is what we're getting right now. Can you beat this? And if they just put it out there in the open, I mean, oh, my a lot of time. Gosh, (laughs) I mean, the amount of people that would just jump on that and be able to say, you know, if they made one LinkedIn post, it would get a gazillion comments, all the likes and everything, you know, help blow them up as far as marketing and stuff. But uh, they would they would be able to find new suppliers, new vendors, and give everybody the opportunity to be able to come in and say, hey, look, I saw in your AFE you budgeted, you know, $500 for the porta potties. Uh, I could get you that, that down to like 100 you know, Just something that simple. It's like, okay, there's other ways to be able to save monies. And a lot of it is just by them being brave enough, brave enough to be able to put out there and be open and say, look, this is what we're paying right now. Can you help us beat this price? And that's not that does that doesn't have to go into like data sharing. It doesn't talk about you know what type of bit they're running, what the weight on, uh, like what their drilling parameters are, what their uh, you know their their frac mixture is, any of the secrets. It's just like this is what we're doing and this is what we're paying for. Can you beat it? That level of transparency, I think, is something that's never been done and could definitely change the way the industry works. So you just gave everyone listening a job idea. That's right. <laughs> I think that concept's been rare to find anywhere in any industry. You know, that's a, you would love that kind of transparency. Yes, we aren't aren't a fan of transparent data. And yet all of y'all are doing what you can in industry to bridge that gap with data, you know, more accurate data and digestible data. So I know we're getting towards our hour mark here. Um, So I have a question um, that I want- We're like three questions in. <laughs> I want everyone to really hone in on is what does the future of oil field services and oil field tech look like? I know having been in this industry for five years now as an engineer, almost everyone I know has been laid off. It's very weird to have a job. <laughs> I'm very grateful for my job. Um, but the other side of it is if you haven't been laid off probably at least once in the last couple of years, you were one of the few lucky ones. So we're getting leaner, meaner, but we're also seeing a crew change because of these black swan events. So with innovators such as yourselves, what does the future of industry look like? How do we come back and what opportunities are there to really, you know, change the future of oil and gas from what we see and know of it as today? I'll jump into it first. I'll say that with with the opportunity, because so many people have been laid off, and I should say this first, if you have been laid off, do not take it personally. I have been laid off three times. I have been fired twice. 
uh, <laughs> I would fire myself today and lay myself off all, all over again just to be able to keep going through the lessons learned. So first of all, do not take it personal. Some people have a stigma against it, but those aren't the people in the oil and gas industry. Uh, and a lot of other industries right now are figuring out what layoffs are all like. So I think oil and gas people right now that are going through layoffs are the best suited in the general population, probably because they've already been through stuff like this. So keep your head held high and, and don't let that get you down. Um, that as, far, it, as far as the innovation that's going to be taking place, there's going to be a lot of people that are senior level individuals that are going to get let go. Um, people with great ideas and hopefully some of those people can find each other and come together to be able to create new and differentiated products that are not in the industry right now or if they've like been guys <laughs> yeah or th that have been sitting on ideas for a long time and they knew that they had suck ass management that wouldn't listen to them and now <laughs> they can you know they can say okay i would have floated this idea at my previous company but nobody was going to listen to me now i can go to my friend and to this other guy and we can put together our own little team float the idea and then actually go out and create a business as far as the the way that that's going to go in the future, I do believe that oil field tech and oil field innovations that companies are going to try to find ways to be able to um, do a better job of diversifying themselves so that they're not 100% in oil and gas. Uh, they're going to try and we're seeing this right now across the board, not only with uh, the oil and gas companies, but with the service companies of being clean energy, renewable energy, anything energy related. Um, so for our, for myself and, and our company, we are looking at ways to be able to do custom software development for people outside of oil and gas. Me personally, I'm doing business development and marketing for, for other organizations and stuff. Um, so, so you're going to see some of these companies, they're going to, they're, they could still be core oil field services or oil field technology, but they're, they're going to constantly keep that eye out for opportunities that lie just outside of their normal realm to where if they need to be able to pivot, they can take their entire sales team and say, okay, this market is, is, is down right now. We'll leave these two people for these couple of accounts. The rest of the team, you guys go full force over here and let's go grow this side of the business that we've been kind of, you know, dabbling in for a little bit. That's that's how we formed, David. I mean, we formed out of a, a big layoff and myself and I, some other guys got together and we started the company. And, and just to touch on that point, to let people know out there that might be in a similar situation, there's investment money out there right now because inv good investors know that this is the time that you invest in in, in good ideas and, and hard work. So... Yeah, I agree with you. Stay positive out there. It, it, it'll happen. But Mike, you're actually I, one of those companies, as David is talking about, you're one of those companies that's pivoting for some of the fringe opportunities and transferable assets. Exactly. And so we're looking at other markets too that just kind of naturally flow into the whole SCADA and monitoring uh, type solutions. You know, there's municipal water. There's so many other in industries out there that kind of do this temperature, flow, pressure. You know, a lot of the same concepts as in oil and gas. And we're working those as well. And, and we do have another product, which is a land management system. And even though that, you know, is originally geared around EMPs and land brokers, um, it can be used in, in, in a variety of different applications as well as in timber or in, in you know, other industries uh, that need any kind of land development, you know. So, uh, yeah, there, there are a lot of opportunities out there. And, and, and to touch on about, you know, the industry itself, I, I believe it's going to come back. I mean, if you look at how far it's, you know, of course it was a huge crash, but it's already lifted out a pretty good amount. What's interesting though, is that, you know, 
natural gas didn't really take the hit. In the past, natural gas always would take the hit. Now, this time around, it really, percentage-wise, it didn't take as big of a hit, and it's come back quite a, a good ways. Um, oil, on the other hand, is probably, you know, took the major hit, but everything now, it's on the verge where now you're starting to read in the news about different companies. You, know, you read about companies exiting certain plays, but you're reading about other companies coming back to those plays and starting to open them up. They're starting to rehire. So, you know, it was a double whammy of the Arab-Russian pricing thing, but at the same time, you know, and, and then, of course, compounded by COVID, but at the same time, it, it, you see positive signs. Maybe shale won't come back as quickly or anything because you know a lot of companies have closed down but i, I you know I, I think it's coming back i we we're gonna have a strong economy again what about you heidi I, I was gonna say i completely agree with what you guys are saying um i do think that diversification is critical and i think that you know urban's looking at all those same opportunities you know we've been predominantly field oriented of like tangible physical operations in the field we are sorry my really big dog. It's not a kid, but no. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you handle kids. I can barely manage the dog. Um, but uh, apparently uh, she's over this. Um, but yeah, so I think that in general, looking at the diversification opportunities, huge urban's looking at making a completely different pivot um, that will service this industry and others, but it's going to be outside of probably what people think probably will be bringing to market. Um, and then to Davis point, I think that the future of who is going to survive in this industry and who's going to stick around, number one, if you're a founder and you're out there and you're looking for money, there are people looking to invest in a good deal. And at the end of the day, anyone that's not willing to go and peddle their idea in this market, who would want to give you money anyways? So I could see investors being like, hell yeah, that person is hustling in this downturn. That's someone I would give money to. So I do think that there's really great opportunity there. And there are people that no matter what, know that this industry is not going anywhere. Um, and uh, I would just say that I do agree. I think that whether it be in the field or in the ivory towers, sometimes good ideas and innovation have been overlooked, unfortunately, and not always. I think that there's been, you know, this industry is incredible with how it innovates and um, rapidly changes. But I do think that there is still sometimes where it's like, well, that's just how we've done it. And I think that that mentality is going to go out back to die. I think that the future is going to consist of like-minded people that understand balancing compliance, economics, operational feasibility, you know, investor return. That's going to be the future. And so the idea of like, this is how we used to always do it is not going to stack up to when you say, we can get you X amount of efficiency and increase your you know, revenue by X percent. No one's going to look at that and say, oh, well, let's just keep doing it the same way we used to. So, um, you know, it's unfortunate that we're going through this. There's obviously a lot of families and individuals that have been impacted um, and my heart goes out to them. But I think that there will be people that will stay. They're going to innovate. They're going to build an incredible future. Um, you know, in fossil fuel development, in renewables, there's going to be a diverse energy future. Um, but at the end of the day, it's going to be the people that are keeping up with the times that stick around and stay relevant. Yep. So B, what do you think from a consulting standpoint? Because we're seeing layoffs with engineers and geos and just across the board in the service side, we're seeing it now on the operator side, we're seeing the age of consolidation even more. I mean, we've had a bunch of big acquisition announcements in the last few weeks. So where do you see the future of industry and how is it going to be shaped by all these major events? 
So I, I agree with everyone. I, I believe it's gonna come. Don't disagree on I, anything. <laughs> okay, well, maybe we can disagree on when it'll come back. Right. I agree that I know, or I, I, I think it's gonna come back. Demand is definitely gonna come back, and the need for oil and gas will be there. One of the things that um, is very characteristic of the oil and gas industry, especially at fracturing, and is the fact that the, the field is way ahead of the ivory tower. The field is ahead of schools. Like I looked at some universities and look at the curriculum in petroleum engineering. And you know, some schools still teach PKN and KGD and that's where they stop. Like those models became irrelevant the moment we cracked the first shield rock, right? So I think there's, there's room for- I wish I knew what those things were. <laughs> <laughs> I <You> apologize. <laughs> Yeah, but completion well, guys like don't need to know what they are. Sounds like he'd be a good guest for your show. He's yeah. been my mentor for about two and a half years. He can't get rid of me. Exactly. So just go PK and KGD. I'm pretty sure someone will write over what it means. But you know, the uh, we've done so much more work in the field than research has done. So there is room to go back and actually update the curriculum and make things more relevant. And I guess that's why a lot of engineers who graduate come into the field and they feel lost because nothing that you were taught at school is applicable. The acronyms uh, are. Yeah. The second. <laughs> yeah. The 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 second point I have is you know uh, there's there's a lot of room overseas as well. Like there's so much new technology that's coming up, developed in the States, as the States has always been the leader when it comes to oil and gas, that's applicable overseas. I remember fracking in Germany and our palms could not release beyond a certain amount of decibel in terms of noise. Like IT's product is great for that. So like there's, there's, there's room all over the world. So don't, um, it's gonna come back. She was gonna come back and as fast as everywhere else. But while you wait, look out there, you can consult for a company that needs some efficiencies. Like there are fracks all over the world, uh, might not be at the same pace as you have in the US, but the knowledge from here is very, very transferable. It's interesting you say that, B, because, um, you know, uh, I, I've listened to, you know, I'm not an expert by any means, but like I've listened to some, some fitness podcasts in the past. And there's a lot of people within that industry that will talk about there are the practitioners who will be doing something prior to the university study that comes out and states like, you know, eating before bedtime or doing these certain kind of lifts or, you know, you need to supplement with this thing to be able to. And so there are people that have figured those things out so far in advance and and they're like yeah we're the practitioners i don't need a a study to tell me this it's like we've already been doing this for years and and i think that that has a parallel within the oil and gas industry that yes there are there is a lot of things that are being taught especially on the directional drilling and and, and mdbd side that you know i still go and see some some study material stuff and i'm just like yeah it's got some relevancy but it's not the same today and, and so obviously hearing you say that then there's a lot of areas on the other side uh you know past you know td in the well uh that you know there's they're having those problems as well where you know we have a lot of that the, those practitioners that are out there doing great things and and leading the way but then there's not the documentation that spreads that knowledge out, which gets back to what Josh and B and everybody else was saying earlier is like, yeah. you have that changeover of individuals and all of a sudden they're like, 
dumb. Uh, we're we're just gonna go do the do stuff, and it's like, but we already learned all those lessons. Why do you need to learn them again? So, Dave, what I was uh, what what we see a lot is we see those lessons get forgot. They get lost. You know, it's just not this transfer, right? I think um, technology can play a role in that. Where um, we uh, you know down the road when when we have more data sets across more functions streaming into platforms like Well Data Labs or other platforms or whatever an operator or service company has. You, you know, like what we're doing with sealed wellbore pressure monitoring, that, that was really just an advanced diagnostic that some really brilliant thinkers came up with. And they had a process that they went through and they patented, made, filed some patents around the techniques for collecting the data. And then we've automated that and made it repeatable with machine learning, right? And so now you can take this process that are very bright people and you can apply it to every frack anywhere. You, you know, using machine learning and technology. So I, I think like if an operator has brilliant engineers like B here, it sounds like, I don't know about David or much, but- uh, He's kind <laughs> of a badass. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you could, you, if, you, if you've married a subject matter expert with a great data scientist, whether it's from a company like Welldale Labs or someone you have internally, build some models and figure out, you've got to, Implement it in a way that it gets across the entire company. How is it running in the field? How is it in the office? How are you impacting decisions? Now you're spreading your best thinkers everywhere. And you can rev that as your SMEs learn more and iterate it and build on it. And it is such an amazing opportunity that we have not begun to touch yet. And I think going forward, I'm super bullish on oil and gas. I think it's an important mix of the, the, inner, the global energy uh, supply and demand for a very long time, sans sort of some sort of miracle, <laughs> miracle in green. But uh, right. you know, if we if we start looking at like we're gonna have less people, we can't add more people and make ca cash flow positive businesses. The, it doesn't work. So we have to make better workflows and take the bees of the world and put them everywhere using technology. And and that's you may invest and learn and innovate. And I, we need service companies and operators have to get very forward on that, or they're or they'll probably be really far behind in eighteen months. So uh, Josh, I can't. You guys are all proving my point here in my total <laughs> manipulation. The five of y'all combined could change the face of oil and gas. I love watching y'all collaborate. Change the world, Captain. I can't, I, Josh. I, I uh, am just saying. Can't wait to talk in about four weeks. I want to. I, I want to say this because I have. I completely a great, agree with you. I have a great business idea then, and I think Well Data Labs could do it with me in conjunction with the operator. So here's the idea: is that every time there is a lesson learned, it gets put into the data system so that if that, like, let's say it was a failure or something was done wrong, and when the computer or analysis in real time sees that something's taking place, something flags and says, hey, you're about to do something wrong. Here's the lesson learned. Click on it. It happened on this well. So that that data, so that that, knowledge, yeah, so that knowledge transfer happens in real time. So because one of the biggest problems with knowledge transfer is like, the, like you know, I've worked at, you know, large organizations, whether it be Schlumberger or when I, my previous career working at UPS, right? 
there could be something that happened at our facility in Dallas, Fort Worth, that was also happening at, you know, the major hub in Atlanta, Georgia. Right. And so like, if we had our little lesson learned, it just went on to like the little knowledge platform. And it was then the responsibility of the employees to get on there and keep themselves up to date, as opposed to where, if there was an operation taking place and then it's all of a sudden like, Hey, uh you're doing the same thing that ran into a problem over here you should probably stop and read this little lesson learned thing that way it's it's in real time and it gives those people the idea so i'll leave that up to josh b and catherine do you guys be able to create that system we've already got 95 percent of that it's you know you have legacy data so the last five percent of that equity goes to moi. the last five percent is <laughs> tagging and characterize labeling those things that were bad events so that you can spot them in the data the next time. But our, like what I think is so wonderful is um, our customers have been with us a long time, a long time, have 10, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of wells of time zero, one second by second frac data. And so if we figured out what was wrong and then went through it, labeled it, we could show them how often it occurs and then flag it for them, just like you're saying going forward. But you've got to get that data set first and then you can build on it. And so we've spent years and years building the data set and the platform to enable like just those kinds of ideas. I mean, that's that's the perfect uh, recipe for a operator consortium. Uh, and, and it could be on drilling or on completions, both of them. I love this. Well, guys, we are totally going to have a follow-up panel with the five of you. And I will follow up with Sam Bradley because he is a badass. We totally just lost Heidi. <laughs> She's up in Breckenridge and her stuff is spotty, but perfect timing. Guys, thank you so much. If everyone watching, listening, even if you're not. Fahim, Lee House, uh, the guys at Norales, Brian Dugas, all of you guys that are watching. Thank you guys for, for you being out there and watching we, in the support. Thank you. <laughs> David, Mike, and Josh. Uh, Heidi, and then eventually Sam, these are the people to follow. So I will be sure to put all their information down in the show notes so that everyone can get in touch with them. But thank you guys for all you do for always showing up and for really leading the change that's going to be happening out of this downturn in 2020. Um, you know, a lot of us owe, <laughs> a lot of us owe our full future to you guys. So we really all you do we really appreciate all you do and all of your innovation so thank you so much for joining today's panel and i look forward to round two with all of you guys great great talking to everyone thank you great i'm gonna my computer died is hiring go on our website oh well data Labs is hiring Boom. That's that's <laughs> news. Why didn't that come out in the first thirty seconds? I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, can can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. My computer died. I thought I thought I would make it till the end, but I didn't. Um, we're high. We will be posting a job and hiring soon as well. So excellent. It's it, okay. Are, now it's a competition. Who else can say? Be Mike, Catherine. Anybody else want to say they're hiring? <laughs> In the future. Uh, guys, yeah, in the future. Those job postings, um, I will make sure that they are included to help uh, for everyone who paid attention today. I will make sure that that audience gets to see them first. So shoot that my way and I'll get it up tomorrow. And be sure awesome. to go and follow the Crude Audacity podcast. Go download it. Give them a five-star review. 
follow Catherine on LinkedIn, follow this channel right now. If you're watching here, whichever one you're on Facebook or YouTube, be sure to like, be sure to follow, be sure to comment, engage in the comments on and stuff on LinkedIn. It's only going to help you. Trust me. And badass. Thank you so much. Awesome. And you guys have a good evening. You too. Thank you. Bye. I'm stuck in the parking. Hold on. One more thing before you go. If today's episode brought you any sort of value, go online, rate, review, subscribe. Also, if you have any topics or influencers you would like us to feature, you can get in touch with us via Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or the website at www.thecrewedaudacity.com. Thanks so much for your engagement, and until next week, give them hell.